Hi, so happy to be here. I'm from the Citizen Lab, which is an interdisciplinary research group at the University of Toronto. So one of our main research areas for several years has been looking at targeted threats against civil society groups. And why we feel this is important to study is these groups are facing a growing spectrum of persistent targeted attacks from highly motivated actors. And of these attacks, um, targeted malware in particular is something that is concerned to us. So the objective of these attacks is to compromise systems and stay undetected on networks for as long as possible to enable continuous monitoring of the targets and be able to retrieve um, data from them at the will of the attackers. Uh, the problem with this is that civil society groups are particularly vulnerable because they lack resources and uh, often have limited technical literacy uh, to deal with the problem. So today I'm talk about two studies um, where we've been looking at this issue. Uh, the first is a four-year study where we've been uh, working with 10 civil society groups and collecting both technical data from them and also doing contextual research through interviews and um, field work. Um, you can see the project team there it involves a number of people. Uh, within this study, we have found that over the four years that um, we see attack developers uh, and operators who have seem to have an in-house capacity to make these tools and um, deliver them to these groups. Uh, the majority of groups that we're working with are related to work uh, around uh, rights issues in China or Tibet. Similarly, a number of the um, attack infrastructures and actors that we're looking at are either based in China or seemingly related to China. Uh, importantly, this is not just an issue for China-related groups or attackers. We also have um, data on groups related to Iran, Syria, and other communities that we won't share today. Um, interestingly, with these attacks, and I'll show you some results from that, uh, the majority of them are not very technically sophisticated in terms of the malware that is delivered to targets, but a lot of effort has been taken on the social engineering. So much of this is delivered through uh, emails, um, spear phishing attacks that have been customized for each target uh, that will contain information relevant to them, perhaps uh, pretending to be uh, trusted groups from within their communities and trying to entice users to open an attachment or a link. So what we feel with this work is really that that's the piece that we have to focus on, the exploitation of the user. Uh, once they're exploited, uh, it's game over for them in that way. Um, and then I'll talk about a second study, which some other members of our group have been looking at, uh, the commercial market for lawful intercept products. Uh, these products are much more technically sophisticated than the malware we see in the first study, and um, there's some interesting elements that we'll explore later on. So just going back to our first study, uh, these were the groups that we were working with. Uh, as you can see here, eight of them are related to rights issues in China, and five are particularly focused on Tibetan rights issues. Uh, most of these groups are fairly small with uh, no more than 20 employees. Uh, we also work with two other uh, much larger groups that work on uh, human rights issues internationally in a number of different countries. Uh, the majority of data that we collected from these groups was users submitted emails that um, users had flagged as suspicious and possibly containing malicious attachments or links. Um, in total, we had 817 uh, email submissions. Uh, you can see here that the um, uh, submission rates are fairly ununiform between the groups. So in the analysis that follows, we focus on groups that have submitted at least 50 uh, samples or more. Um, as you can see here, so this is analysis of what the vector was for attack. Uh, the majority of Tibetan groups were receiving document-based malware, um, things using uh, popular applications, PDF reader, um, Microsoft uh, Office products, so forth. Uh, other groups had higher rates of links to phishing pages or um, websites serving malware. So one of our challenges was taking all of this data and characterizing 
uh, the relative threat of each of the samples. So we created what we call the targeted threat index, which is a metric to prioritize both our own analysis of the samples and determine how severe the threats are from both a uh, social engineering perspective and also a technical perspective of the actual malware. So we calculate that into two parts. Uh, we have a base value of uh, the social engineering score, and then we times that by a technical multiplier. And the final score ranges from 1 to 10. Um, we use a multiplier because the amount of time and effort put into creating advanced uh, malware is significant, and in the case of commercial solutions, it might also be a uh, monetary value. So I won't go into a lot of detail on this, but this is our scale for social engineering value. Uh, a zero is essentially a sample that may be malicious but is not targeted, so it could be something like conventional spam or non-targeted phishing attempt. And then as you go up the scale, it's how customized and personalized uh, the messages are according to the targets. So these are our results. Um, you can see that a lot of effort has been put into the targeting. Uh, for Tibetan groups especially, more than half of the submissions that we received from them were of a targeting score of three or more. Uh, then we have a technical sophistication multiplier. What we're measuring here is the level of obfuscation in the code to hide the program functionality um, and to stay undetected. The reason why we particularly look at obfuscation is um, that enables it to stay undetected on the network for a longer period of time. It hinders uh, reverse engineering analysis of the samples, which can make it more difficult for analysts to prioritize threats and also um, write signatures and things like that for them. And also a lot of the malware that we see in this study is um, commonly used remote access trojans, perhaps one is working right now, um, <laughs> that have a lot of the same core functionality. So really the level of code obfuscation was a way to um, distinguish between the samples. So you can see our results here. Again, our, our, we go up to a two, and I'll show some examples of twos later, but within um, the samples that we received, the highest score that we had was 1.5, and that was fairly rare, and most of the samples were a one or 1.25. So the takeaway here is that this malware is not very technically sophisticated um, with the metric that we used. Um, just to further that point, you can see at the, at the top, that's the highest technical sophistication scores, uh, but when you look at the total, um, TTI score that we have, they're relatively low. That's because, uh, and this is ranked, sorry, by uh, malware families. For those particular samples, um, the social engineering score was low, and that's why they have that score. Uh, the highest TTI scores we have, those samples didn't have the highest level of technical sophistication, but they get a higher score because of the social engineering sophistication of the lures that were used. Uh, Another thing that we did is cluster analysis against all of our samples and looking at shared infrastructure, tactics, tools, and procedures used in these attacks. And what an interesting finding from that was is that we can map out different campaigns that have been previously reported. Um, and these campaigns are targeting uh, organizations from government, the private sector. And you can see them listed here, previously reported by um, private industry researchers and um, targeted a number of our groups. And uh, at least in one case, uh, we have evidence of a significant compromise by one of these groups. So that was our first study. Getting into the second study that um, colleagues of mine have done on this really burgeoning market for uh, these kinds of attack tools and they're uh, peddled at uh, vendor fairs like ISS World. Um, we've been particularly looking at two products. One is called FinFisher. This is their website. You can see how they market themselves as a solution for law enforcement and government. Um, they essentially sell a so-called lawful intercept product. 
Uh, you can see here the features of the product and their marketing materials. And something that I find really interesting is they have a lot of emphasis on how easy they are to use. So these are effectively turnkey targeted surveillance solutions uh, for governments. And you can see their nice interface there for managing your um, infected hosts and sending them commands and analyzing the data and so forth. We've also been looking at a company called Hacking Team, which is based in Milan, Italy. And they're effectively a competitor to Finn Fisher and sell a very similar product called Remote Control System. You can see their marketing here is similar. So both of these companies claim that they only sell products to governments for use in uh, lawful, um, or sorry, uh, law enforcement activities or counterterrorism and so forth. What's problematic with that is we have found evidence of uh, these tools used to target uh, journalists and activists in a number of different countries. So you see some of these pictures here. As uh, a woman from Bahrain, uh, who I believe is originally a UK citizen, and uh, she was targeted by Finn Fisher. Uh, that gentleman is a political refugee living in the UK at the moment. He was also targeted by Finn Fisher. We've also seen um, evidence of political ref uh, Ethiopian political refugees in the United States targeted by Finn Fisher and uh, Ethiopian media groups. Um, this gentleman on the bottom is a dissident from the United Arab Emirates who's targeted by the Hacking Team product, and we've also seen um, activists from Morocco targeted by the same product. Uh, similar to our first study, this is the vector of attack. This was a uh, message sent to a Bahraini activist, um, which was requesting the user to open a detailed report with torture images of uh, content that would be relevant to her work. Uh, within that document was an implant of FinSpy. Um, these tools do some other sophisticated things like masquerade as legitimate updates to popular applications like Firefox and iTunes. And, um, and overall, like on our technical sophistication marker, these would rank uh, at the highest level um, due to the complexity of the programs. Uh, another thing members of our group did was develop fingerprints for the command and control servers that are used to um, send command to infected hosts, and then did wide area network scans, and we found some interesting things. So we located uh, Finn Fisher command and control servers in 36 different countries around the world, including some interesting ones on the map you see here, like Nigeria, Pakistan, Indonesia, India, uh, Mongolia, uh, etc. Uh, importantly, the presence of one of these servers within these countries does not necessarily mean that authorities or governments of those countries are owners or operators of the products, but raises some interesting questions of why would you want a FinFisher server in Pakistan, for example. And a number of colleagues um, from legal communities and advocacy communities are following up on this data and asking those questions of why is there a server in our country and what is it being used for? Um, so just a quick plug that at Usenix Security, we both, uh, both of our project teams have uh, papers on uh, their respective projects and we have a number of technical reports that goes into more detail. Thank you.